Welcome to Preaching and Preachers, a weekly podcast devoted to those who preach and to the task of preaching itself. I'm your host, Jason Allen, president of Midwestern Baptist Theological Seminary. Today, I want to welcome Mr. Sam Beard to the podcast. Sam serves as vice president for undergraduate studies and dean of Spurgeon College here at Midwestern Seminary. He's also an author, having released his books, No Neutral Words, The Pastor's Investment and Stewardship of His Most Precious and Powerful Tool. Dean Beard, welcome to Preaching and Preachers. Thank you, Dr. Allen. It's an honor to be here and looking really forward to the conversation on preaching here. So. Yeah, thank you for joining me in the studio today, helping me out by uh, by by sitting in the host chair and, yeah. and interviewing me about preaching, and uh, in particular today, about how to assemble your sermon, and uh, really building converse, conversation out from my book that came out last year, or I guess a couple of years ago now, entitled Letters to My Students on Preaching, and so we look forward to getting that here, getting to that here momentarily. Before we do, though, uh, Dean Beard, give us a word of update on the Beard family and yeah. uh, what's new with you guys. Yeah, yeah. So the the good news in, in the Beard home is our fourth child is on the way, and so we're really excited about that. And uh, as long as uh, science holds up, we're having a girl, so that's our understanding. And so um, anyway, so we're really excited about that. That's the big news around us. Appreciate so. you giving a clear answer about the anticipated gender. Sam. Yes, that's right. That's right. Yeah, uh, no, One always holds one's breath. So That's yeah. right. That's right. Yeah. Uh, remind us when, it, when she's due. Yeah, it'll be early September. Okay. So we, okay. Would, we will have my, my birthday, September, another child, September. We got a lot of September kids, so it, it's a dominated uh, month. So That's good. Hey, before we begin uh, and I let you interview me, sure. give us a few words on your book, No Neutral Words. Sure. And no, uh, I, I know our it. listeners would enjoy hearing about it and uh, what you're seeking to accomplish through it. Sure. Yeah, so it is aimed at, um, at pastors, and it's a, uh, I, I write with the idea of stewardship. Um, we, we tend to think about um, uh, money budget as a, as a pastor. We think about our time budget, but I'm trying to extend that a little further into the idea of, you know, your most powerful tool is your words, you know, how you're getting both in the pulpit, but beyond that as well, every email, um, every social media post, every conversation you have. Um, that is, uh, to put starkly, under the judgment of God, you, you know, you are, you're being um, evaluated over that. But also, it's this incredible gift that you get to fuel life into people's lives. And so it's an assessment of that and trying to um, help pastors think their way through um, this may be a budget that you don't think that much about, a stewardship you don't think in that way. But God's given you these words, and so steward them well. So that's the idea. Well, I read the book cover to cover and very much enjoyed it. So thank Wonderful. you for your service there, Wonderful. Sam. Great. All right. So I'm going to, as they say, toss the ball to you and let you begin to lead the conversation about uh, preaching. And I think in particular today, we're going to talk about assembling one sermon. Great. Yeah. Yeah. So appreciated the the chapter in the book itself. And so really, really thankful to have the conversation and, and looking forward to uh, just how the Lord is going to use this book and for his church and, and his preachers and those sorts of things. Let's, um, yeah, start with assembling your sermon and the idea being you start out by saying there's this glorious pressure um, uh, and deadline that hangs over every single pastor every week. And so maybe speak to that, just that, that it is, um, it is pressure, but at the same time, this is what we want to do. It's a glorious pressure. So, yeah. And look, it really is surreal. And only those who preach know what that pressure feels like. Uh, and I felt it yesterday in the days yep. leading up to yesterday, we're recording right. this on a Sun on the Monday. I preached yesterday morning on a Sunday, uh, the church at Laodicea, Revelation three fourteen through twenty two, and uh, just a a great passage about a church in a perilous state, and uh, one of these just mountain peak texts in all the scripture preached. Right. 
And I felt the exhilaration of that, the pressure of that, the work of that, not sleeping as well on Saturday night, getting up extra early on Sunday morning, and all that goes with it every time I preach. And now I am almost exactly 25 years removed from the first time I prepared a sermon. Wow. And uh, it's been a nostalgic week for me because right. just in recent days I saw – uh, a, a lady passed away, and I'm, I'm bereft of her name at this moment, but she was 95 years old. Mm. And uh, it just came through my news feed from my hometown of Mobile, Alabama. Okay. I follow a couple of local news feeds on Twitter. And uh, I thought she died like 20 years ago or something. Right. But she died at the age of 95 this past week. And she had had a ministry for many decades called the Home of Grace. Okay. And the Home of Grace was like a, a halfway house for ladies who had perhaps had some form of substance abuse mm-hmm. or perhaps had, had been in a, in a relationship where they had been battered. But ladies that show up there, they are really broken inside right, of themselves. Right. And so for many decades, she had this ministry where they'd have 40, 50, maybe 60 ladies there at any given time yep. and would minister to them. Well, as a college student, as a new believer, Sam, I was invited to go and help out with that ministry on Sunday afternoons. Right. And so I'd been going a period of, of weeks, maybe months, and I was invited to, to deliver a sermon on Sunday afternoon yeah. to these ladies. Yes. Yeah. And you've heard me reference some of this before. Yeah, no, it's a, and yeah. uh, And I, I had no idea what to do no idea where to go with that. Right. And I still remember, on the one hand, the adrenaline and the exhilaration as the days were leading up to that, that I was going to get to preach this sermon, but also having a sense of, of being overwhelmed, a sense of, of anxiety, a sense of fear as to how does one prepare a sermon? What does it feel like to prepare a sermon? And I, I remember like in my little college dorm room sitting down and, and opening up my Bible and kind of doing a little index work in the back of the Bible, you know, glossary work at the back of the Bible and looking for key words. I remember writing down like all the preacher's jargon I've ever heard, <laughs> these little one-liners. Yeah. I remember writing down some you know stories and illustrations that seemed to make sense, cobbling together my favorite Bible verses and trying to put together the sermon. And then like going through my Bible and uh, again, not a phrase I would use then, but, but now I look back and see, and I'm playing off of Spurgeon here, like flipping through and and thinking, okay, like this verse seems to be screaming, preach me. Right. Yes. And kind of playing with it for 20, 30 minutes and, and thinking, okay, I guess I'm at a dead end here. I need to find right. another verse. And then this other verse seemed to be, and all these right. verses seem to be yelling, preach right. me. And like, ah, which one do I choose? And right. how do I do this? Mm. And uh, and all the exhilaration, the pressure, the days leading up, the hours leading up, and then to actually preach itself, a sermon that uh, that was eminently forgettable, right? Yeah. yeah. And so... Uh, but coming through that, and then as, as, as days would turn into weeks and months and years, and understanding more and more how to assemble a sermon, and right. what are the biblical tools one has, and what it means to interpret the text, and so many other questions and aspects that go with it. And over the past 25 years, a lot has changed about my approach to preaching, mm-hmm. uh, the tools I use, the maturity I, I trust I have. But one thing that has been constant now for nearly 25 years, I mean, I still feel the pressure mm-hmm. of preaching. Yeah. Yep. I, and, it's, and it's a glorious pressure. Right. It's yeah. a hopeful pressure. Right. It's a joy-inspiring pressure. It's right. a fulfilling pressure, spiritually speaking. But I still feel it. Right. So to our listeners today who are on this podcast, whether they've been pastoring for many decades or a seminary student who's yet to preach a first sermon, uh, that's a pressure that either you do resonate with or you soon will resonate with when you have that first opportunity. You never outgrow that, and you should never outgrow that. Right. Yeah. Well, let's jump into the mechanics here. So let's talk about... Um, drafting the sermon body that that's kind of where you start um do you draft a manuscript or no why why not what are the pros and cons how would you lead us in that yeah so again i I have changed a little bit on this over the years for many many years i draft a full sermon manuscript 12 to 14 pages maybe 15 pages handwritten 
And I still err in that direction. But typically, I take less than a manuscript into a pulpit. A part of that is to economize my time, candidly. A part of that is uh, because I, 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 I feel at times a greater joy and um, even in a, a, a greater ability to preach if, I have a, if I'm a little less scripted, so it can be a touch more extemporaneous. And right. I'm never making it up in the pulpit. Sure. It, it's been worked through carefully in the study. I, I, I still, I mean, I preached yesterday. And I took a full manuscript to the pulpit, hmm. uh, a full manuscript to the pulpit. No, I did not read it, nor did I even refer to it that uh, consistently throughout, like line by line. But I had it handy and used it. Now, I'll tell you, um, but, but, but I think there's a prior question, and that is a basic sequencing of events right. as to yep. what you do and why. Okay. And a mistake that I made often earlier in my ministry is I would, I would perhaps begin with the introduction. Mm. And the tail could begin to wag the yeah. dog yes. interpretively yeah. and uh, and then even homiletically as to how I was going to bring that text to bear. And perhaps I, there was something happening in the news, something I read that week, church history illustration, what have you. And I thought, man, this is a killer opening introduction, killer opening illustration. And I want to use that and have that. And so I, I would begin to spend time on that. And then that would be the tail that began to wag the dog to perhaps shape the text, the sermon text itself, the body, in unhelpful ways. And that perhaps lead me to conclusions that the text really, truth be known, was not leading me to. Right. So I want to work the body of the sermon first before I worry with an introduction or conclusion. And oh, by the way, if I have a great idea for one or if an illustration comes to mind, I can just jot that down so I don't lose that thought. But as far as actually fleshing it out, I'll save that for towards the, the back end of my, of my sermon preparation. So the body itself, um, I'm going to be thorough. I'm going to draft. I'm going to think first exegetically, then homiletically. I'm going to work through points and often subpoints, And uh, I'm going to give my, my best energies to getting the text right interpretively. And then that's showing up in that body of the sermon that I'm drafting. To, uh, to, to summarize, though, what I've just said, and perhaps to answer your question more pointedly, these days, usually I'm taking in like four half-page sheets of paper. Okay. And uh, so if you think of a, an eight-and-a-half by 11 turned sideways, and it's you know, like a, 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 a four different half-pages, and there's, that's, those are pretty heavily annotated. I right. mean, not a lot of spacing there, pretty heavily noted, and usually I work from those. Got it. Okay. So start with, you know, the, the, the body of the sermon. You draft that first, but then you say to, to move into the conclusion. So you're planning the conclusion um, is really important, but it comes post uh, the drafting of the body. So maybe give us a bit on that. Just why, why, uh, why do that next and not the intro next, those sorts of things? Yeah, so for me, I, I usually draft the conclusion next because I am so immersed in the text and I've been so given to preparing the body of the sermon that I, I know in my heart like where the sermon is going. Right. And I don't merely mean where it's going interpretively. Again, what is like the logical final punchline of the text? But even I can hear myself preaching the sermon right. and like how is this probably going to end? Right. Now, for me, I, I have to be careful because if I don't have a, a defined conclusion, then I can just preach till I, I fizzle right. out. Right, yep. And uh, and can just kind of ant, uh, uh, land the plane basically as I as I'm just getting tired and, and running out of my sermon material right. and it it can it can underdignify right. what I've just preached right and so I want to be intentional about a, about a conclusion it doesn't it's usually not some kind of cute story mm. um, it, it's usually more of a referring back to the major thrust of the text mm. and what it means for you right. Sometimes I will even say something like Sam, uh, something like now. Perhaps if you if I've lost you along the way, or, or perhaps if you if if you if you faded out, you know, come back with me now. 
take out your piece of paper, take out a pen, mm-hmm. and write down with me these, these three final words of application. Right. If you get nothing else today, get these right. three words. Okay. And it's, it's uncanny how people, if you re-invite them right. into the sermon process, how they'll, they'll, okay, oh, okay, they'll kind of wake up. You know, they'll grab a pen, and you know, the husband's reaching over to his wife to borrow her pencil, and they'll kind of get these concluding yeah. words here. Uh, you have to be careful of that, though, because that cuts both ways. Right. If you train your people to think, you're always going to give them these final three or four words. Then they'll, they'll, they may be inclined to tune you out until you, you prompt them yeah. to tune in for the final two minutes. Yeah. And so that kind of cuts both ways. But I have found that if, if I'm intentional to, to, to know where the sermon's going and exactly how I want to land the plane and the force with which I want to, to land it and intentionally go from you know, the we to the you. Right. Yes. Intentionally yeah. press in on words of, of calling to repentance, calling to action, demanding a verdict. As I'm doing that intentionally in the sermon preparation process, the final three to five minutes of the sermon can have far more punch and, uh, and far more consequence in the lives of the hearers. That's great. I think uh, in reading the chapter, I resonated the most with this one because as I began to, to preach as well, there was a, um, I, I would find that the body of the sermon and even the intro was so significant to me. But then this, this, uh, this precious, you know, member in our, in our church, I'm young, you know, twenties. And she, she pointed out to me, you know, you know, you kind of fizzle out at the end. Like it's, right. it, it doesn't conclude very well. And I, I took that somewhat pridefully, but at the same time, I was like, she's right like that. And it, and it was just such a helpful thing to read that and to change over the years. So, yeah. And I think for me, a, a part of why I didn't put, uh, spend as much time thinking through the conclusion 20 years ago was I had a habit of, of, again, going to the pulpit with 15 pages of notes and kind of just never knowing how far through that I was going to get. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And, and routinely, like, man, I got to call quits after page eight because, mm-hmm. you know, it's been 42 minutes. Right. And, uh, and again, kind of the upside was that was I had a lot of sermon material to start with for next week, right? That's but right. the downside was there, there often was not a, a, a logic or a co- coherence to the sermon, mm-hmm. a coherence to the conclusion. So what, as I've grown, what I've, what I've done is I, I've been able to sense more, okay, here's like how much material I have. And this is, okay, this is 40 to 45 minutes. I need to go ahead and plan to end the conclusion, to end the sermon here, build a conclusion in. Right. And know somewhere on, you know, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, we're going to cover four verses, right. not thinking we're going to cover eight, only to mm-hmm. figure out like at 1145 <laughs> on Sunday morning, right. I'm actually only going to cover four verses right. and then kind of scramble to have some sort of coherent landing. Right. That's great. So we're through the body. We work through the conclusion. Next, you say work on the introduction. So you're, you're through that part. Um, so uh, you save that for last. Uh, why why coach preachers to do that? You've, you've mentioned it already, but just to reiterate, what what is saving that conclusion till the end? Why do that? Right. And so for me, I want to be clear. It's not as though like I forgive my for, forbid myself to give any thought to the introduction. Sure. Okay. I mean, I'm getting thoughts all the time, right? Yeah. And that's a part of the mystery of sermon prep. You may be working on point one, but but you have a, an incisive thought about point number three while you're working on point number one. So for me, I don't like hopping around frenetically from point one to point three to intro to conclusion, like trying to capture my thoughts and, and, and insert them. No, I just have a blank piece of paper out, or usually it's in the margin of legal pad. And if I get a great thought about the intro, I'll just make a, a brief little note there to remind me, to prompt me three days later when I'm working on the intro. Okay. So for me, um, th- that's a way now I, I know where the sermon, I know what the text means clearly. I know what I'm trying to communicate about the text. I know how I intend to land the plane via the conclusion, any, any final application there. And so I come back now knowing where the sermon's going and knowing, again, what the text means, I can more, more accurately right. more accurately represent the text in the introduction and I think more, more faithfully right. invite people into that sermon on the front end. And look, I want my introduction, I want it to be truth and advertisement. Right. 
And not every sermon every Sunday is going to be like the greatest sermon in the history of, of the Christian church, right? Right, right. And so some guys preach every Sunday in the introduction. This is the, the greatest you know, passage in the Bible. Right. And, and look, there's a part, part of which you spend a week studying text. It always feels like the most important text in the right. Bible. So I don't want to tamp that down too much. Sure. But I don't want to, to, to say in the introduction, I promise you this will revolutionize your marriage if you listen for 40 minutes, if actually the sermon's on giving. Right. <laughs> or, yes, that's or, right. Or whatever. Yeah. You know, I, I want there to be truth in advertisement. So what I want in the introduction is I want to draft that after the sermon has basically been put together. I want to invite readers into the text. I want there to be truth in advertisement. And I hope to be compelling enough that, like, if I were to stop the sermon after the introduction, people would actually say, man, no, I want you to resume it. Yeah. We want to hear what yes. you have to say. Yep. And I'm also, look, I'm always looking for value added in the introduction as well. So, um, you know, what else can I say about this text that's, that's helpful, that's informative, or about the task of preaching or teaching? So, for instance, as we record this, I've been preaching the past uh, seven or so weeks. I've, I've had to miss a week or two given travel, but, but in a local church here, I'm on seven letters to seven churches, mm. you know, the, the seven letters in Revelation. Right. So what I've sought to do is to not just formally deal each week with, okay, here's Ephesus, here's Smyrna, here's Laodicea, et cetera. But each week to, to help the folks understand like, like a bit more about the book of Revelation, a bit more about biblical interpretation. Mm-hmm. So for instance, I've said things like, you know, we don't, this, this is a limited series, seven sermons on the seven letters, seven churches. But let me remind you what's going on in the book of Revelation. The book of Revelation breaks down very easily. In fact, Jesus gives us the outline of the book of Revelation at yeah. the end of chapter 1. Look right. down with me in verses 18 and 19 and 20. Yeah. Okay. The things which, which you have seen, chapter 1, uh, John's uh, perception of Jesus there, Jesus' disclosure of John, the things which are, chapters 2 and 3, and then the things which, which, which shall be, yeah. the remainder of the book of Revelation. And yeah. so here, see with me in the text. You know, the, the, yeah. the text itself right. outlines the book for us. And right. so as you study your Bible, you'll be looking for these clues. And then saying things like, you know, let me remind you, these are seven letters to seven literal churches. Right. They are, they are uh, seven literal cities, findable on a map then, findable on a map now. Right. A lot of people think, oh, Revelation, all oh, this is just so mysterious. And, and Well, mm-hmm. no, actually, this is quite clear. And yeah, right. we might have trouble figuring out what, what's going on in chapter 12 or 14 or 8, but it's pretty clear what's going on in chapters 2 and 3. Right. And so then yesterday I said in the introduction, I made a comment as folks were turning, I said, um, and let me remind you, even as you're turning this passage, um, he, here's what faithful biblical interpretation looks like. We're, we're wanting to understand what this text meant then so we can understand what it means now. And a text can't mean something now that it fundamentally didn't mean then. So biblical interpretation is we're understanding together, even this morning, as I've been working this week, to help you understand this morning. What, what did this text mean then? Mm-hmm. What is Jesus saying to the church then? Right. Therefore, what does it mean now? And then, and then finally, what does it mean to us specifically, right. men and women in Christ, this local church? And what does it mean to us specifically by way of application, by way of implication? And so I'm, I'm trying in the introduction not just to say you want to listen to the sermon, not just to give them a moment to, you know, to find the text in their Bibles, but to also bring a value added as to what is preaching, what is interpretation, uh, what's going on in the broader book of Revelation, to try to help them during that, that front porch time, as I think of it, right. that front porch right. time as you're going from you know, the special music or the, or the last hymn to actually when you're moving into the heart of the sermon and the, and the body of the, of the sermon proper, there's a lot you can accomplish during that window. That's great. So when you move the chapter towards conclusion, the last section that you cover, you call it we, uh, weave in transition phrases. And uh, to me, this is really, I love that you put this in here because um, 
as I evaluate preachers, that sort of thing, this seems to me to be really the one of the key issues where it kind of separates the proto-preachers from the preachers. Like this is almost advanced level of if you can not just kind of throw your points together, but you really smoothly carry your people through. Um, yeah, so talk about that just a little bit. Yeah, so usually at this point, the sermon is, you know, essentially done. Again, I'm a fiddler. I mean, it's never done until I've preached it. And okay. so even on Sunday morning, oh, man, there's there's usually a little work going on. Yeah, that's encouraging la- to me. Yeah, oh, yeah. man, I had a lady come up to me yesterday, Sam, uh, literally after the sermon yesterday, and say, Dr. Allen, I appreciate your sermon. Be very sweet. Yeah. said, you know, I really appreciate you don't do, like, you know, overhead with, like, you know, Sermon points on the yeah, overhead, yeah, yeah. you know, and she was just so uh, I appreciate you know that seems to me to take something away from the preaching, and and she's kind of like, well, like why don't you do it? She was looking for like a really profound answer. Right, and I said, yeah. well, you know, honestly, um, I, I do think the preaching act is most natural when it's just like a man of God preaching the word of God to right. the people of God right. without you know multimedia and different things to support. I said, but honestly, as it relates to the outline of the overhead, uh, <laughs> the main reason I'm doing it is because. My outline's not done until, yeah. like, I'm preaching. And right. so there's always a Sunday morning curveball coming here. And uh, and I just, you know, the, the, the people in the sound booth can't, can't tinker with you, you know, as five minutes before the sermon starts. And so, look, that's a part of it for me. Um, th- there's always some tinkering going on. And part of this tinkering is, is how do I make this sermon be a sermon and not just a collection of points? Right. Yep. And there's a big difference in the two. Right. I want my sermon to be one major point. Right. One major point. And yeah, there are some points throughout it that derive from the text. There may even be a few subpoints that derive from the text. The extent to which I flag those will depend upon the flow of the sermon. And so 20 years ago, I was incredibly bony. I would have these big points and a bunch of big subpoints, and and it was just like a skeleton every week. Right. And there'd be a lot of stop, go, stop, go, stop, go. If my wife were here, she would say, that's how I drive. And I yeah. do. When I drive my car, there's a lot of stop, go, slamming on brakes, speeding up, slamming on brakes, speeding up. And that's uncomfortable for people in the car. Right. Yeah. Um, my preaching has been like that at times over the years, and that's uncomfortable for those listening. Yeah. If there's a lot of slamming on brakes, pounding the accelerator, right. two fro, two fro, two fro. And so I, I want to be smoother with it. Let me now draw your attention to the second point we see in our passage. You know, this morning our passage goes actually goes one step further, and we need to go with it. Right. Yeah. Today our text, um, our text doesn't end there. In fact, notice Paul elaborates further, and so that brings us to our final point today. Yeah. There are things you can do that, that pull people along, that, that help keep them with you. And again, you're, you're, you want to help people, especially who are trying to follow you, to be able to follow you. Yeah. And so as you flag something just very, very intentionally, but very subtly, it helps to bring your people with you. And, and again, you're not slamming on brakes and then pounding the accelerator. You're, you're walking them through the text with you. I, I want people, as they have their Bibles open in their lap, to, I mean, every point of the way, of my sermon to say, oh, I see where he gets that. I see where he gets that. I see mm-hmm. where he gets that. Mm-hmm. That's helpful. That's clear. That's clarifying. That's clear. That That's helpful. I don't want them to be looking at like, man, I have no idea where point number four came to. I mean, right. that was awesome. Everything he said I agreed with, but I don't see that here in the text. Sure. I want that to be clear and obvious, but I don't want to like take a hammer and, and pound it home to them, pound right. it home to them to where they feel like they're being besieged right. by my homiletical points. I want right. them to be besieged by the passage itself. Yeah, that's great. Well, um, yeah, so uh, in in conclusion, man, thank you so much for just helping us think through how you assemble th- the sermon and you're pulling it together. Um, any last thoughts that, that you'd give just uh, aspiring preachers or current preachers trying to grow? Look, I would say preach is a glorious, God-honoring calling and task. Never get over it. 
Uh, I love to preach. Uh, as I said at the beginning of this podcast, it, it's always exhilarating. It's always joy-filled. It, to this day, produces at least a touch of anxiety because of the weight of what I'm about to do. And wherever you're on that spectrum, I would say cultivate that, nurture that, enjoy that. And uh, don't be too hard on yourself. Uh, we are all growing as preachers, and so you will look back one day and smile over how you're preaching now. And then one day beyond that day, you'll smile at how you're preaching then. And so that is good. God is growing us as men of God. God is going up, growing us as preachers and teachers. Sam, thank you for joining me today and helping out uh, to host Preaching and Preachers. Happy to be here. Thank you, Dr. Allen. <laughs>